Thank you very much, Matthew. I was going to um, explain to you where we were going in, a, in the series um, over the next period of time, but I think I'll give that a miss. So I'll move quickly down. I was going to tell you how you were the Real Madrid of churches, but you'll have to wait for that for another time. What I can say is that we're beginning to look at the lectionary. I've never done this. I'm 53. Now, my my good brother, Father Martin's 54 today, so he's older than me for a couple of weeks. But I've never done the lectionary in any time in my ministry. I suppose I thought it was a bit Anglican, maybe even a bit Catholic, but it wasn't for Presbyterians. We come up with our series, and then you look at the lectionary, and actually, it's a bit of a series, and you go through the whole of the scriptures, and we can learn a lot from it. So friends of mine have been doing it for a period of time. And it takes in the seasons of the church, and I thought that might be nice to do that. So, so my disclaimer, I guess, is that this is new to me. So there's all these readings, and I'm going to have to find the way that I can um, take all the readings that I think about now over a week and put it into a time that would get us home before tea time. But the readings, two of them, um, this week, and as I said, Psalm 116 was one of the alternative readings as well. Two of the readings were, um, the gospel reading is this reading from Mark chapter 8. And then we had a reading from the, uh, the letters from James. And I started trying to fit the lectionary in on the, the morning of our Van Morrison event, where we were doing the hymns that Van Morrison has done, the songs that Van Morrison does, and trying to bring something out of um, that music into a biblical sermonic kind of way. And I thought, well, here, let's see if the lectionary would even work in Van Morrison. And it kind of did. But what came through that morning of the Van Morrison, and I know many of you, it was a big holiday weekend and many of you were away, was the song that um, Scott Jemison sang, Van Morrison's song, before the sermon, which we unpacked actually as very close to Psalm 23. When will I ever learn to live in God? When will I ever learn? He gives me everything I need and more. When will I ever learn? The Lord is my shepherd and I shall lack nothing. He gives me everything I need and more. When will I ever learn? And when will I ever learn to live in God? What does that mean? When will I ever learn to live in God? Now, Sunday after Sunday, I say to um, our worship teams, and there are four or five worship teams now, um, maybe even more than that in Fitzroy. But many times I'll come up to them after the service and say, wasn't that incredible how that fitted in? Because you're all out there thinking we spend hours working out how that fits in. But no, um, that doesn't happen at all. And so, will you come and follow me, was not in my mind when I came up with this idea of this series, or will I ever learn to live in God? But verse 1 that we sang earlier, will you let my life be grown in you, and you in me? And at the end, in your company I'll go where your loving footsteps show, thus I'll move and live and grow in you and you in me. And it's an idea I haven't thought a lot about consciously in those kinds of wordings. Do we live in God? Are we learning every day to live more in God? Not are we learning more about God, but are we learning to live in God? Is God growing in us 
Are we growing in him? Is the life that we live after the benediction and we go home, is that life a life where we're learning to live in the words that we sing and read and pray about on a Sunday morning? The Mark 8 passage is really interesting because it's kind of a pivotal point in Mark's gospel. The first few chapters we're trying to find out who is this Jesus. People are a little bit confused about who he is, as you might have been if you lived in his day. Now, of course, if we're reading the gospel from this side, it's there in the very first verses. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in the Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. So in verse 1 of Mark's gospel, Mark nails it. This is the good news of the gospel of Jesus, who is the Messiah. But the first eight chapters are a little bit like an evening television intrigue. Who is this who can do these things, they ask in chapter 4. In chapter 6 they're saying, is he a ghost? Who is this character? It's a little bit CSI, it's a little bit Criminal Minds, or for those who are slightly older, it's a little bit Columbo, um, or a little bit Agatha Christie. There's something about these first chapters of Mark where we're, we're going in this journey of trying to discover or uncover who this guy is who's born at this time in history and seems to be something more than everybody else around him. And so we come to chapter 8. Pivotal, and I love this scene. This is one of my favourite scenes. I guess one of the other things I need to tell you about going through the lectionary is that you might hear me going back to something I taught, and we did Mark's Gospel up in the hall um, five and a half years ago. It's that long ago. Um, uh, and so we've done Mark before, and we've looked a bit at Luke. So there might be little bits of this where I get to my favourite parts again because they've come up in the lectionary. I love this scene. Of all the scenes, well, there's too many scenes in the Gospel. I'd love to be there at the tomb. I'd love to be there when Jesus walks across the desert and John says, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But I'd also love to have seen the, the interplay that is going on in Mark chapter 8 here. So they're all gathered around, and Jesus is chatting to them as you do when you're gathered around. And he says to them, what about, who do you think the crowds are saying that I am? Now, remember the first chapters of Mark. This is a bit of, how are we going to unpack this? Who is this guy? So Jesus is chatting to them, maybe trying to tease out where they are in this CSI, Criminal Minds, Columbo, Agatha Christie journey. And he said, who do the crowds say that I am? And they say, well, some say you're John the Baptist coming back from the dead. And that's difficult because we saw John the Baptist and you in the same place out in the desert. So that's a bit of a tricky one, but that's what they're saying. Or that you're Elijah come back from the dead and so there's all these chitter chats going on and, and he's trying to sense from them well what are you sussing out I had a, one of our political leaders phone me on Friday morning just to say what is your community thinking about all this and I was trying to speak for all of you and, uh, and other people because they were trying to assess for tomorrow morning's talks of their talks what's going on so I'm on the phone and they said what, what is your community thinking and I'm going oh, how do I answer what uh, Caroline McDowell thinks I don't know but I tried to give some sense of it but you can see in this that Jesus is saying give me a, give me a sus what are you you know what is going on who, who are they saying and then after the general conversation that's comfortable isn't it he looks at them and he says, <clears throat> Peter, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? Oh, that moves from a very, oh, where do you hear this one? I heard somebody back there saying that you were John the I mean, how could you? What about you, Peter? Who do you say that I am? And so we come to this moment where Peter makes this pivotal announcement. 
that you are the Messiah. It's all uncovered. It's the climax of the CSI, the Criminal Minds, the Columbo and the Agatha Christie. Great. We have it sorted. You might think. Because getting it sorted in the creedal, getting it sorted in the theological, getting it sorted as to who Jesus is, is not the end. That is where this begins to take off. Because it's at that point then that Jesus says, okay, you've got who I am now, well let me tell you how it's going to be. This is how it's going to be for me. Chief priests and all these people, they don't like what I'm doing because I'm challenging their power. I'm challenging their legalism. I'm challenging all the things that they have over other people. I'm challenging the financial wealth that they're accumulating with all the things that are going on around them. And they're not liking it. And so therefore, I am going to suffer at the hands of all these people. And then he says, and as for any of you who would come after me, Peter, it's one thing to say I'm the Messiah, but if you want to follow me, then you're going to have to deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow me. Because what would it be, what use is it if you gain the entire world and yet lose your very self? And I suppose those are questions today, guys. They're good questions in evangelism. Session have been talking about an alpha course and we'd be encouraging people to bring maybe their friends to an alpha course. And I suppose one of the opening gambits is, well, what does society think about Jesus nowadays? Who do they think he is? Is he just a good teacher? Did he not exist at all? How many say he's the Messiah? How many listen to some of the teaching that he's got? It's a question worth asking. It's a question worth sussing out as you listen to talk shows or as you watch television. But once we get to the answer of Messiah, then the next thing is, are you going to learn to live in me and allow me to live in you? Are you going to learn to grow in me and allow me to grow in you? The stakes are raised at this point. The stakes are raised in the following of Christ. And of course, Psalm 116, if we read it all, we would get that. We read earlier at the start of our service. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. You are the Messiah. Here's a theological point. Here's an understanding of our identity or God's identity or Christ's identity. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. Psalm 116 and verse 5. And then what we went through at the offering is, okay, if that's who he is, If that's who God is, if that's who Christ is, then what shall I return to the Lord? There's a response. And I was saying that it's not this deal where where God says, look, I died on a cross for you and therefore you better follow me. It's not that kind of thing at all. It's a, this is who I am. This is the love that I've got. This is the holiness of my being. This is the compassion and graciousness of my identity. And this is me prepared to give. So therefore, what will you return? Philip, as he shared with us earlier. Not just that great time, 17 minutes, 26 minutes. But he responded to the person that gave that liver. He's grateful, maybe on a daily basis, consciously grateful to somebody who gave. It wasn't part of the deal. If you get this liver, you're going to have to be grateful to this person. But because they gave... His natural response is to be grateful. 
the Messiah. Gracious and righteous, full of compassion. What shall I return to the Lord? Let me conclude, and I think I've done that quite well there. I've been compact. Did you see me flicking three pages there like there was no tomorrow? As I call it in my house, like a whippet. Or actually, I've changed that now to Philip Cairn Duff on a 5K run. <laughs> the reading from the letters is James chapter 3. Two things drew me to this. One's next week's, and I might not get it in because we're looking at Onelaku. But here's what I'm going to blog later on as an open letter to our friends in the hill tomorrow. Can I say about that that as Christians we really need to be praying for the people in our political situation that are going in tomorrow to try and find some way through this. It's very easy for us to diss them and it's very easy for us to be very critical. It's very easy to say, what a shower of. And it's really easy to say, oh, could we not sack them all and get a whole new team in there? The ones that I spend time with and I've spent more time with them in the last couple of years than I ever thought I would are genuinely people that would really love to get in there tomorrow and sort something. might not be the way they would like it, and there's lots of things that I would want to be saying to them and do say to them, but they're up there and they need prayer. They desperately need prayer. In fact, this week I'm beginning to think it's not their problem. It's ours. And this is me being more spiritual or over-spiritual than I think I have been in a while. But I, and speaking to a couple of them, they kept saying, one of them said this to me, and they wouldn't be a believer. They said to me, it's as if there's something else deeper rooted than we know that's causing this, these impasses to keep coming back. It was as close as they'd got to saying to me, there's something dark, there's something transcendently demonic that is going on because we're having discussions and rationally we would like to sort it, but something prevents us from sorting it. And I just wonder whether that church war that reformation and counter-reformation war that we've never got over in this country has actually given darkness a way in, the demonic a way in, that is making it impossible for the ones in the hill to bring harmony in this country because actually the people in the street that point the finger at them for not being able to bring harmony are the ones who are causing the dissension and the friction on the street that means there's something something overpoweringly evil going on in our country and sectarianism and other things that is making it impossible for our leaders to come to some sense. But my open letter to them later will be the words from James chapter 3 and verse 17. The wisdom that comes from heaven is first all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. If we want justice and righteousness... If we want right, which is the God of Northern Ireland, we're right and they're wrong and we're going to prove they're right or wrong. Actually, if you want that, go back a step. Because if you're peacemakers, the word of God tells us, if you're peacemakers and you're considerate and submissive and full of mercy and good fruit, then the righteousness will come as a part of that ending. So that's what I'm going to be writing to them this afternoon. When you go in tomorrow, apply these words. Some of you believe them as the word of God. Some of you just take them as wisdom from an old ancient scripture. But this might be what it's about. However, sadly, that's not what the sermon's going to end in today. I want to get back to us just very briefly here. We've declared that Jesus is the Messiah. We've been doing it in our worship. We've been doing it in our readings. We've done it in our prayers. I believe that many of you have done it this morning just by being here. You have declared in some way that Jesus is the Messiah. My question to all of us is, 
When will we ever learn to live in the reality of what we say we believe? And when it comes down to it this morning, I'm going to leave us with something that I think is maybe just for us at this point in time. James goes into those words, the tongue, the things we say. And actually, at one point, he says a very interesting thing because he says, if you have control of the tongue, you're perfect. It's almost like it's the last wee bit that gets sorted before perfection. Now, let me tell you, there's none of you are perfect. I don't care who you think you are. Um, now, you might be more perfect than me, and I wouldn't argue with that at all, and Janice particularly won't argue with that at all, but none of us are perfect. But if perfection came, do you know how you would know it? Every word you would say would be for blessing and building up. The things that you would say would be different than maybe the things we do say. In the next number of weeks, as we go through doors that were one night the Narnia wardrobe, We came in that door. Do you remember the night of the gospel according to Narnia? We came through that door and we walked through coat hangers and coats and a wardrobe. And we got Turkish delight as we came through and we had an amazing night looking at the theology of C.S. Lewis and Narnia. Well, in a couple of Sundays, we're going to walk through those Narnia doors the other way. Into a whole new world for Fitzroy. It's going to be amazing. Some of you women and even you men, see when you stand in these kitchens. You'll think you're in Narnia. You'll be looking for a lamppost. It's so exciting out there that they say you can boil two kettles at once in these kitchens. It's a big time for Fitzroy. Really big time for Fitzroy. And we were broken into last night. Now go figure. Two weeks away from going through the Chronicles or the the Narnia doors and we're broken into and they've taken some stuff, but not the stuff they might have taken. We've got off reasonably lightly. But you just sense that when something big happens, it's not going to be a smooth journey into the something big. And actually, break-ins are the least of my problems. As your pastor, I've told you since the outset of this journey that this is not going to be an easy transition. Who gets what room? Where do the cups go? Colors. Thankfully, they're all decided, but they might be decided, and you might go in there and say, What were they thinking? Well, 250, you would have come up with a great idea, but only one of you could have been chosen, and 149 of you would have felt really, you know, angry about that. So there's going to be all kinds of words spoken as we get through these doors. It's not going to be a smooth transition. And the tongue is going to be really important in that. Because just to throw away comment in the wrong place at the wrong time, James warns us it can be like a forest fire. From hell, actually, is how he declares it. So I'm praying over his last Sunday at communion. I sat behind that table, and as you were receiving the bread and the wine, I prayed that the Lord would put down upon us a blanket of graciousness for these next few months. But I think it comes out in practice. And the words we're going to say and throw away. Let's not throw any away. Let's seek that because we believe Jesus is the Messiah. Let's learn to live in him so that the words we share with each other are considerate, thought through, and are for building up rather than breaking down. 
Tom Wright, in this commentary on these passages of James, says, Jesus wants, God wants people to follow Jesus through and through. To be a blessing only people, not a blessing and curse people. God wants people to follow Jesus through and through. To be a blessing only people, not a blessing and curse people. So whatever we say, and it's not just, by the way, you don't have to look in for three months of the, the, the transition of the halls. As believers in our general lives, let's be those that when we speak, when we are, that we're careful with our words and that our words bless people. And they don't bless and curse people in different ways. Do you know those words that hurt? Do you know those words that blessed? Let's be the ones that say the words that bless and not curse. Finally, Wright says about this passage, the danger is that people will take the bits of the message they want and quietly leave the real challenges to one side. Who do you say that I am? 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 And now that you've said who I am, let me tell you how it's going to be. What will we give back to the Lord? Will we learn to live in God? Not more about him. Will we learn to live in God? Will we learn to allow Jesus to live in us? With all the words we use as we come into this new hall, by words that Jesus would use among us, because it's Jesus living in us and us living in him, that the words come out of. May it be so. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you're a God who is gracious, compassionate. And we thank you that Jesus is the Messiah. And that we've declared that today in our worship. Lord, then send your Holy Spirit. Send your Holy Spirit to explain to us the consequences of believing those things and the response of believing those things in the way that's gracious and grateful and compassionate and righteous. Lord, we long that we would be a community of people that you live in and that we live in you, that you grow in us and we grow in you, that we move in you, that we speak in you, that every word we use with one another, that every word we use when we're in work or when we're at home or when we're in school or college or when we're in shops or wherever we are in a restaurant or cafe, that, Lord, our tongue would be that which would be under the control of your spirit, which would be for blessing others and never cursing others. Lord, Holy Spirit, come. Make us that people that learn together as a family of yours to live in God. Help us to come and follow you in that way. In Jesus' name, amen.